I hope you have a Bible or some way to look at a Bible. Uh, If you will, turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. There was once a pastor who was considered by most to be long-winded. Now, I know many of you have never experienced anything like that in this church. But on this particular day, the congregation recognized that the pastor was finished far before he thought about stopping. You ever been in one of those sermons? One young boy who was frequently taken into the lobby for disciplinary actions by his parents, the little boy looked up at his mother for help from the endless sermon. With a loud whisper, the little guy asked, Mommy, will you please take me out and spank me? (laughs) So hopefully none of you need that here today. But anyway... Today, we're continuing the series, Royal Invitation, and typically, we go verse by verse as as we're making our way through Romans. But what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of pause on the verse by verse study and give you more of what we call a topical message on just the whole idea of grace. Grace is probably, as I'm going to say a little bit later, one of the most important themes in the Bible. And it's all through the book of Romans. Matter of fact, if you were to say, okay, how do you break the book of Romans up? Well, the first 12 or the first 11 chapters would be the first uh, chapters one, two, and three would be all about our guilt, that we stand guilty before God. But by the time you get to the end of chapter three, all the way to uh, chapter 11, the whole theme is about grace and God's grace expanded to us. So today we're going to look at living under grace. Now look at the introduction on your outline. Grace is one of the most important concepts in the Bible. It is the secret to Christian living. As we continue our study of Romans into chapters 7 and 8, we need to understand exactly what the concept of grace is all about. So it's very important that we understand that. Now, look at Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 24. It says, we are justified freely by his grace. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. The promise comes by faith so that it may be of grace. Now turn over to chapter 5. Through him, through Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, here's what we need to understand. When we come to understand Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we've come to him on the terms God set forth through his Son, the thing that we need to understand as it relates to who we are now is the fact that we are in Christ, which literally means that now we live our, our lives from the point of view of grace. Now, how many of you are thankful for that? That the point of view in which we're living now is one of grace. Now, if you look down at chapter 17, it says God's abundant provision of grace. So it's not just a provision of grace, it's an abundant of grace. And we'll talk about more of that abundance of grace. Now, look at verse 20. The law was added so that trespass might increase or that sin might increase. Now, some of you are saying that verse, the first part of that verse, that makes no sense. Well, really, it's not so much that sin might increase, but we would have an awareness, an awareness of our guilt. And so we need to understand before grace can be seen in its proper way, there needs to be this whole idea of our awareness of the guilt in which we stand without Christ. Then he says this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Chapter uh, 5, verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, grace might even reign through righteousness. And then chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Paul says, 
by no means, or some translations say, God forbid. So it's really that whole idea. If grace is so great, why don't we show it off? Why don't we just keep sinning and then we understand God's grace even more? Paul says, no, that's not how this works. And then we come to chapter 6, verse 14. The second part of verse 14 says, For you are not under the law or under the, the dominion of law, but you are under grace. And so that defines who we are in Christ. So now let's turn our attention to the outline, the meaning of grace. Now there's no single definition that perfectly describes grace. Grace is so vast, has so many meanings, is so powerful that one idea of it is incomplete. But many of us try to do it with what we call the acrostic of the word itself. Look there. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. How many of you have ever heard of that? But that's a great definition of grace. But even that comes up short. So look on your outline. It is, grace is, God giving us what we need, not what we deserve. Now, how many of you are thankful for that? That's definitely, that's right. Second of all, it is all that God does for us on the basis and provision of the cross. It's what's been put out there. So you have God who worked through Christ to provide grace. Next, it is the power from God that gives us both the desire and the ability to do his will. So it's one thing to come to Christ or come to God through Christ and the whole idea of his grace reaching us. But it's another thing to live in such a way that we're living under grace. And that describes it beautifully. Next, we see the characteristics of grace. First of all, it is an attribute of God. How many of you ever heard the phrase, or not the phrase, but actually the verse in 1 John where it says, God is what? Love. He's the epitome of love. When you think of love, you can't help but think of God. That's literally what that means. Guess what? God is also grace. God is grace. It's just who he is. It's part of who he is. Now, Psalm 145, 8 says this. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. And so we see all that laying right there in front of us, that God, the Lord himself, is gracious. He has great mercy. Second of all, it, grace, comes through Jesus Christ. The only way there is even an invitation for us to, to, to receive his grace, there must be the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It has to be. It's what brings it. It's what, what allows us to experience it. So John 1.17 says this, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Moses gave us the law, and Jesus Christ gave us grace. Did you know for us to understand more fully what grace is all about, you have to have the law? You literally, now this will blow your mind, you literally have to have the breaking of the law. Now, how many of you have ever broken the law of God? <laughs> We've all been there, right? And so for us to understand that whole concept of grace, there is the whole idea that sin almost has to abound for us to understand it more clearly and more fully. So if you look at Romans 5, look at verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense. The gift he's talking about is grace itself. It's not like the offense. For if by one man's offense, that's Adam casting this world into sin. For if by one man's offense, many died. 
much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And so all of a sudden, we're introduced to this whole concept, and we'll look at it more fully later, of Adam bringing sin into the world and Jesus Christ bringing the grace. Now, there's a third characteristic of grace. It is eternal. It is eternal. God has always acted in grace. Now, I want you to think about this. How many of you, when you read through the Bible, it almost appears that there's one version of God in the Old Testament and there's another version of God in the New? How many of you ever looked at it and thought, there seems to be two different views of who God is here? Over here in the Old Testament, we have a God who, who seems to be ready to pounce on someone when someone messes up. But then we go to the New Testament over here, and all of a sudden we're introduced to a God who, who's full of grace, who's full of mercy. Well, let me just say this. God, in his attributes, has always been merciful. He's always been gracious. It's not a matter of one view of God and another view of God. God cannot change. We sung about that. So, what do we see here? We see that it is eternal. 2 Timothy 1.9. Look here on the screen. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life? Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now think about that. Grace is not an afterthought. It's not one of these situations in which God put man in the garden and all of a sudden sin shows up everywhere and God panics and says, oh my goodness, we need to do something about this. Let's introduce the concept of grace. Hey, son, would you mind going down and introducing that to the people? That's not how it happened. According to this verse, grace has always been a part of who God is, has always been about what God wants to present to us as his people. So many people think that God acted one way in the Old Testament and another way in the New. The Old Testament's the law, the New Testament's grace. But God has always acted towards people through grace. Think of this. Genesis chapter 9 says this. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, let me just say this. When you think of Noah, what do you also think of? A big boat, right? You got a big boat there. No, no, the ark. So Noah and the ark. And so, so here's what's interesting about all that. All the people outside of the ark were sinners. How many of you know that? I was very clear about that. The people in the ark, what were they? Sinners. <laughs> you had sinners in the ark. You got sinners outside the ark. The only difference between the two groups is the fact that God extended his grace to Noah and his family. That was the only thing that separated the people in the ark with those outside the ark. And so we see that God's grace has always been present, Old Testament and new. A fourth characteristic of grace, it is free. Grace is free. It's unconditional. It's a gift. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. How many of you, when it comes to your children at Christmas... You sit back and you say, well, children, you've been very good this year. Here's your gifts. Do, do, do you have any parents in here that work that way? Probably not. What do you do? Kid could be terrible all year. Got to give them something for Christmas. So you go out and get it, right? Bring it in. That gift is unconditional. That kid didn't deserve that gift this year. You know it. <laughs> but, but it's free. It's been given to them. It's the whole idea. It's unconditional. The Bible says in Romans 3, 24, we've already looked at it. It says we are justified freely 
by his grace. You know what that literally means? We've been made acceptable to God through the grace that's extended to us through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Now remember, justified means just if I'd never sinned. God makes me just as I've never sinned because we deserve it? No. Because I earn it? No. But because it is grace, it is a free gift. A fifth characteristic of grace, it can be hindered. It can be hindered. So here's what this looks like. I come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I come to him. How do I come to him? Well, I come to him by responding to his grace. How did I respond? I repented. Uh, I have a heart for God now. I'm a believer in Christ. I'm born again. But how did it all start? How did it all start? It started with him extending grace to me, and I responded by faith. Now, let's carry it a step further. I began to grow as a Christian. All of a sudden, things start coming and making their way in my life. Did you know there are certain things that can hinder me from growing in grace? And by the way, that's the whole idea. Have you ever heard someone say, yeah, once you become a Christian, the goal is to become more like Christ. Now, is that a wrong statement? Absolutely not. That is part of the goal. But really the goal, the terms that the apostles used was more of the whole idea of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the terminology that they used. So if that means this, that means something can hinder that growth. And the first thing we see here is, is that grace can be hindered by bitterness. You ever have bitterness in your heart? Some of you are sitting here today and you're bitter towards God. I know it because I talk to people. I have people who want to come and tell me that they're bitter uh, at God. And I understand. I've been there too when I didn't understand what God was up to. And, and my first initial reaction was to be mad at God because I know enough about God to know that he's sovereign. I know that he controls the things that are in my life because I'm his child. And sometimes I lose sight that he, he only wants his best for me. But sometimes I lose that in sight of the fact that he's working through me to accomplish great things. And sometimes it's not the way I want to be stretched. You ever been stretched by God in ways you don't want to be stretched? Been there, done that, still doing that. We'll continue to do that. But let me just tell you this. It's a whole idea of bitterness coming in. Bitterness, is, bitterness, I believe, is one of the greatest hindrances to God doing a work in your life for you to grow in Christ. And I believe that for many of us here today, I think we would confess that sometimes we've been bitter towards God. But really, for some of us, it's not towards God, it's towards another human being. And we sit here today, and all of a sudden, that bitterness. Now, now, why would bitterness be a hindrance to grace? Think about the two words. Bitterness is me wanting to give you what I feel like you deserve. You ever thought of that? But what is grace? Giving you what you don't deserve. That's the whole idea. So if you look at the two, they're, they're extremes. They, they work in different directions. And so therefore, bitterness comes into my heart. I'm bitter at God. I'm bitter, bitter at someone else. I, I, I've ceased to start growing. It stopped growing in grace because I'm working the other direction. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 15, if you don't believe me, there's such extremes to the two. Look at this one verse. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. How do you miss the grace of God? Number one, you could miss it. By rejecting him when he brings the turn, when he extends his grace to you. And you say, no, I don't want any part of this. But did you know you can be a child of God and miss grace? Did you know it's possible? I'm not talking about saving grace. I'm talking about the grace in which we are called to grow in. 
And it's possible. And so here's what he says. He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, the awareness of God's grace in your life, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You ever had bitterness defile you? You ever been around people that you felt like you needed to take a bath after you got through with them? You ever been around? I'm not talking about outside. I'm talking about just what came out of their mouth. Negative, wine. I mean, just all over the place. And you sit there and it's like, oh my goodness, you wear me out. Come on. If they're speaking out of a heart of bitterness, then you who are attempting to live in, in the awareness and the, the whole idea of God's grace in your life, guess what? There's a stark contrast between what that person is expressing and what you're expressing. And guess what? It won't feel right. I've seen people who were bitter at a young age. You ever seen people grow old in their bitterness? It's not a pretty sight. Everything's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. They're wrong. Why did they make that decision? Why is that coming from? Everything comes out of their mouth. You know, <laughs> that is someone who's not growing in grace. That's someone who's bitter. That's someone in which ugliness plagues their heart. And y'all, it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. And the thing that we need to understand is that God wants to do a great work in our life, but we many times are our own worst enemy because we won't deal with it in the way God calls us to deal with it. Next, grace can be hindered by pride, by pride. I want you to write this down if it's not on your outline. James 4, 6 through 8. But he, God, gives more grace. Now, when it says he gives more grace, what does that imply? I'm capable of receiving more grace than what I'm experiencing right now. Now, have you ever thought of grace in that terms? That's what this implies. So look at what he says. He says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud. You know what that literally means? It, it, does, it means that, that you'll never see God working in your life. It'll appear that God doesn't even care about your life because you're so prideful that you think you can do it on your own. You come to your own thoughts about your own conclusions, about your own decisions and how you're going to live your life. And God says, it looks like you got it under control. Catch you later. <laughs> and the thing is, guess what? It hinders what God's trying to do. How do we know that? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The one that may not know everything. <laughs> The one that cries out many times and says, God, I need you. I, please don't forsake me. There were times Jesus even said that. I trust you, but I'm struggling here. Therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee. Draw near to God, and he will what? Draw near to you. He'll draw near to you. You know what that literally means? It means I am capable. When he draws near, I'm capable of seeing his hand in my life. For many of you who are sitting here today, maybe it's been bitterness. Maybe it's been pride in your life. And the reason you haven't seen the move of God in your life for a long time is because you're not dealing with bitterness effectively. You're not dealing with it in a biblical way. You're not dealing with pride effectively. It's, it's to the point where you think you've got all the answers. You think you're the one. That, and and y'all, that's not a good place to be. Thirdly, grace can be hindered by works. If you were to go to Galatians chapter 1, you're going to see something there in which Paul is writing a letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. And here's what he's basically saying. He's basically saying, hey, guys, there's a lot of you out there that think you can please God by your works. 
There's some of you who are self-righteous. There's some of you who are measuring your life against other people saying, well, I'm doing this and they're not doing that. And he's saying, y'all, you need to understand works has nothing to do with it. It's all about grace. It's all about you responding to his grace. It's all about you living in his grace. It's all about you growing in his grace, understanding more of his grace, allowing his grace to come into your life. He started there. He ended there with that whole letter. A last characteristic of grace, it is limitless. God's grace is limitless. How many of you have ever been at the beach and tried to count each individual grain of sand? You ever picked up a whole handful of sand? You said, I'm going to count how much is in here. <laughs> We've probably never done that. I've actually tried to grab one grain of sand. It's, it's, it's almost like It's impossible. Did you know it's impossible to understand fully the grace of God? It's, it's, it's impossible to get the concept and, and grasp how large the grace of God really is. The Bible says in Romans 5.20, the law was added so that trespass might increase, that the awareness of sin is increased, that my guilt, I see my guilt, but where sin increased, grace all the more increased. Literally in the Greek, here's what that verse means. Where sin increased, God's grace super increased. How many of you are thankful for that today? Y'all, that's a powerful word. That's our only hope is what that verse is saying. Here it is. You cannot out the grace of God. Have you ever heard someone say about someone, that person is hopeless? I've said that about people. I literally have. One of them sitting in this room. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But anyway, I, I, I looked at that person. I even told her wife. I said, it's hopeless. I mean, it's bad. This ain't looking good. And, and here's, here's what we need to understand. Based on the authority of Romans 5, 20, there is no one who is hopeless. If you're sitting here today and you feel like, I am hopeless. My parents tell me I'm hopeless. My, pa- uh, my job, my employer says I am hopeless. I go in here to preach a preach. He seems to indicate that I am hopeless. But I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of Romans 5.20, there is no one hopeless when it comes to what God provides. And we need to understand that too. Next, the benefits of grace. We are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace, God's provision, that you are saved through faith, your response, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not, work, not of works, lest any man should boast. None of us are going to heaven and saying, God, I did good, didn't I? I know that's improper English. That's how much you talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but it's that whole idea that none of us will be standing there at the throne in our pride. It'll be all about praise God through whom Jesus came and provided his grace for us. He gave us what we need, not what we deserved. Next, we grow spiritually by grace. 2 Peter 3.18 says this. And by the way, Paul says this several times. Grow how? In grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a command to grow in your grace. The more you rely on God's grace, the more you're going to grow. Now, this is not on your outline, but I recommend you write it down because I think this is good. Here it is. You ready? Every Christian ought to be able to say three things about themselves. You ready? Here's number one. By the grace of God, I am not what I used to be. By the grace of God, I'm not what I used to be. How many of you are thankful for that? Number two. 
By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. The whole idea that I've grown into this person that he's created in me. And then thirdly, this is important, by the grace of God, I am not what I'm going to be. By the grace of God, I'm not what I'm going to be. There's going to come a time where our grace, listen, our faith will become sight. But guess what? Grace will become sight. And that's so important for us to understand. God is in the disciple-making business. Now, let's move on. I want you next, when it comes to grace, we overcome sin and temptation by grace. If this is not on your outline, I don't have time to cover this. Titus 2, 11 through 14 demonstrates that to us. And then next, we handle trials by grace. Now, how do we know that? Most of you know what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The reason most of you know it is because you've been through a trial. And these are the verses that you hang on to. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Now, this is Paul making an honest confession. And he's basically saying this. After Christ's resurrection, and then he came back for 40 days, he left again. To our awareness, the only other person we know in, according to Scripture that he appeared to again was who? The Apostle Paul. He appeared to him. He said, now straighten up. <laughs> Quit killing my people. I got some work for you to do. And basically, he sent him on his way. Did you know not only that, but Paul and many and the apostles, I believe a lot, of, they received revelations from God. Directed. Did you know that Paul tells us that he actually saw the throne of God? He tells us that. And so here's what Paul's saying. All these things were presented to me. And as a man, it would be hard not to be puffed up with pride. It'd be hard not to think I am somebody. That's what he's saying there. He says, but a thorn in the flesh was given to me. I believe every one of us in this room have a thorn in the flesh. For some of you, it may be a particular temptation. That temptation to fall into sin. For others, it may be a health issue. Where every day you have to rely on God to sustain you to get through that day. I've met many people that way. And the ones who don't grow bitter and, and see that as a growing opportunity are excelling in their Christian life. I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. But then there's some of you who are in relationships in which the other person is a thorn in your flesh. Some of you work with this person. Some of you live with this person. <laughs> and it can become very difficult. But I believe there's always something there to make sure. I think for several reasons, the reason a thorn in our flesh is there is to keep us from becoming prideful. To keep us, I believe this is big. A lot of us lose sight of this. To keep us always wanting for the life to come. For eternity. I believe there's enough that God puts in our life and allows to be in our life for him to make us homesick, to realize we're not living for this world. We're living for the world to come. You know what's ironic about what Paul writes here? He doesn't tell us what his thorn of the flesh is. He doesn't tell us. So we can put anything in the blank. And, and, and so then he says this, the thorn of the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. 
When I start thinking a lot of myself and think, boy, I'm special to God, he, God Jesus showed up. I'm, I'm hearing from him on a regular basis. I've been to the throne of God. Have you? And he says, you know something? God's got something in my life that keeps me humble. What in your life keeps you humble? I mean, we all have it. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it depart from me. Now, some of you are like, I've asked the Lord to take him away. He's still here. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's not the thing. That's not what we're working towards, okay? We're looking for reconciliation there, all right? But here's what we need to understand in this. If we believe God is sovereign, he's providential, and everything that enters into my life is through the filtered hand of God, it would be easy to blame him for a lot of things and be bitter about it. But if we'll take a step back and realize he wants the best for us, It's impossible almost in this life to understand, why would this disease be best for me? Why would him allowing this person in my life be best for me? Why would he allow this situation or this situation? And the list can go on and on and on. Why is it every day I have to wake up just determined to follow the will and ways of God and hold on tight because I'm so tempted to just cross over? It's always there for you to to look to him. He wants us to look to him. Grace, Paul said, is sufficient. Here's what it says. And Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what Paul responded with? Therefore, he, listen, (laughs) when he said my grace is sufficient for you, I'm doing a work in the midst of it. You know what happened? A worship service and only one attended was happening. Here's what he said. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast of my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. How many of you have said, I take pleasure in what I'm dealing with right now? He said, I take pleasure in affirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a work of God. That's more grace. God is sufficient. Let me say this. Some of you don't believe this, but it's true. He will never put more on you than what he puts in you to bear it. He will never put on you than what's in you to bear it. Now, here's what you need to understand. Some of you are in a situation right now and you're wondering, God, what in the world are you up to? You say you're not going to put more on me than I handle. But, here, here, but let me say this. And I don't mean this insensitive, and I don't mean this is cold. But a lot of us are our own worst enemy. You realize that, right? I've been my own worst enemy all my life. I can blame it on my wife. I can blame it on my children. I can blame it on my call in life. I can blame it on God. I can blame it on the enemy. But when it really comes down to it, it's me. And we got to understand that. We got to get our minds around it, our hearts around it. Next, we are gifted by grace. I'm going to let you have this one too. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. I hope you'll go read it because it's wonderful. Matter of fact, I base all of the ministry I believe God's called me to based on these verses. This is my goal. This is what I think God wants as the end game for how he wants me to lead as a, as a pastor. Here's the application. Lord, help us to realize that everything you do in us, for us, through us, and to us, you do by your grace through our faith. That's hard. It's hard to get your mind around. Help us to realize that the very way we entered into the Christian life is the way we continue, by grace through faith. 
Lord, increase our faith in your grace. We're getting ready. To, I'm getting ready to close this part of the service. But to understand grace more fully, we must look back at how God, through Jesus, provided the grace in his sacrificial death. We're getting ready to take communion. Jonathan's going to come lead us in that. But right now, I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to tell you something God did in my life this past Wednesday. And I didn't fully understand what it was all about till a couple days later. One of my grandsons came to me on Wednesday night. And over and over again, while I was trying to talk to other people, here's what he'd say. Granddaddy, I love you. And I want to give you a hug. Ten to, I know it was at least ten times in a 20-minute period. I was out there trying to talk to people. It was here on the church's grounds, and I was trying my best to talk to other people. And I must, I got to tell you this. You're going to say, man, you are cold. I was beginning to get a little frustrated. Not with him, but about what I was trying to do. And he kept saying, granddaddy, I love you. I want to give you a hug. I went home and told Tina, and I said, I don't know what was going on in his life. But he needed something from me, and I'm not sure he got it. Two days later, I'm having a little quiet time. And you know what God revealed to me? He didn't need anything. I needed something. You know what God was showing me? God was showing me how many times I get frustrated when he just wants to tell me how much he loves me. And, and, and wants to give me a big old hug. And I get so busy in my life. And there's so many things I think I got to accomplish. So many things I need to do. And I get so busy. And, and it's just God. He's just saying, hey, I just want you to know I love you. Just want you to, just want you to know I want to give you a big hug. Now, some of you may sit here and think, really? You got that out of that? I'm here to tell you that's exactly what I got out of it. And I'm convinced God gave me that. Getting ready to take communion. You know what I think communion really is? God saying how much I love you. And I want to give you a big hug. But for some of us, it's just a ritual that we know we need to do at church. But it's so much more than that. It's about that grace we talked about. The only way that grace is possible is through what this represents. The death the sacrificial death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what he says? Remember it. Why would he want us to remember it? So you'll know that I love you. And I want to give you a big old hug. That's what this is all about. I'm going to ask you right now, if you will, to stand to your feet. We're getting ready to continue in worship. And I want you to focus your attention on the one who loves you. And the one who wants to give you that hug this morning. Would you do that this morning? Would you join us?